I'm excited about our message tonight. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, if you have your Bible with you. We'll be having the verses on the screen, but Philippians chapter number three, we're going to go through the whole chapter tonight. Uh, you see that message is, going to message is going to be called Reaching Forth. So as a church, when we consider all that the Lord's done in 2019, I, have to, I think we all have to agree it's pretty humbling when we consider the fact that this was an old bank rotting on a corner in the little town of Stallings with no plans, no purpose, no nothing, just sitting here as a kind of a an eyesore. And what happens now, it went from being an eyesore to being a thriving place where not only people can come to, know, to, to, be, to be healed, right? There's a lot of people that come in broken, they get restored. There's a lot of folks that maybe have been hurt who get healed. And this is a place where people can actually come in and actually find some direction when they find themselves kind of being aimless in life. And that's a lot of folks that are out there. People are looking for direction. They're looking for some kind of focus. And the focus isn't the church. We're not the direction, obviously, but what we do is we point them to the direction, which is God, which is a beautiful thing that we're given that opportunity. So as we look at this year, some of us have experienced the miraculous touch of God. This year, there's been something wonderful that's happened in your life, and you praise the Lord, and you're thanking God for 2019, as we all should be. But at the same time, there may be some of us that 2019 was a hard year. There may have been times where maybe we were suffering. You know, as we look back on the year, we're not going, man, hooray for all the victories. There may have been some things that you're like, you know, praise God that you got me through what you got me through. Some of us may experience tragedy, perhaps loss, betrayal, financial difficulties, a broken heart, depression, illness, strife, who knows what. But what happens is a lot of times as we get these things in our life, we tend to focus on only the negatives. And what we're going to look at today is a matter of reaching forth, reaching forth, right? Because our year, even though it may have had its difficulties, difficulties what we're going to look at tonight is the fact that God has a purpose for all things. So as we look at this, are we going to allow our past or our failures or our faults or our disappointments from 2019 to determine our 2020? A lot of people do. They determine their future based upon their past. And we're going to look at the advice that God's going to give us in his word as opposed to what we think is the best thing or what the world tells us is the best solution. So when it comes down to it, we should always follow the biblical example because God knows what's best for us. And many times it's counterintuitive to what we may think but it's actually the truth of what we need to do. So let's pray for this, pray for this message, this message called Reaching Forth. Ask God to bless it. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. And God, I thank you for the message. I know that God, uh, as I was writing it, Lord, uh, it just kind of flowed out. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the way that you helped me uh, in the message. God, thank you for speaking to me. And Lord, I would ask now that you speak through me, that we might have a sensitive ears to hear, uh, God, what it is that we need as we face a new year. Uh, Lord, with opportunities, uh, with... Uh, challenges, with days that will be glorious and filled with praise and days that may be filled with tears. I would ask, Lord Jesus, that you help us to have the mindset that we're willing to trust you through it all. Lord, guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Philippians 3, verse chapter number, or chapter 3, verse number 1. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Okay? He's trying to remind, he's reminding us here, no matter what circumstances, God is good. Okay? To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. He says, though you may already know this, I'm telling you this to remind you of the goodness of God. And what happens a lot of times, we may have the mindset we know, right? God's good. And we may claim it, right? But there are days when we may not feel like God's good. There may be days that we feel maybe a little bit knocked down. We feel like we've been punched in the gut and we don't necessarily have the wind at our back. We feel like we have the wind in our face. And a lot of times we feel like we're facing opposition or we're working uphill. And even though we may know God's in control, 
right? And we have that knowledge here. It doesn't hurt to have someone come along and give us a little encouragement when we're in the midst of the storm. Because when things are good, it's easy to claim that. It's easy to go, yeah, man, God is good. God is good. Yeah, man, God's blessing. Our bills are paid. The house is going great. But when you're short on funds and your roof is leaking or your hot water heater explodes in the roof of the church, praise God that God took care of that. But whatever happens, right, in those days, it's really encouraging to have someone who comes along and goes, hey, don't forget. Don't forget. God's good. And that's what Paul's doing here for the Philippians. Has any of us ever felt overwhelmed by our circumstances? And what happens is in the time when you're overwhelmed, the voices you start to hear in your head can start to make you feel hopeless, right? Let me ask you this. Does God ever speak hopelessness to us? He does not. God is a God of hope. Romans 15, 13 says this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Right? So if the negative voices are not God, we know whose they are, right? Now if we recognize who they are, should we listen? No. But many times we do. Many times they get us when we're weak, right? When we feel as if we're, uh, we, we, can't, we don't know which way to turn and we feel aimless and we feel kind of like we're overwhelmed by our circumstance and these voices can become very loud and they can become very, very clear and sometimes we can begin to believe them. But even if we stop listening, it doesn't mean that the devil's going to back off. He doesn't stop trying. He will keep working on us because he's waiting for that moment of weakness, and see, it all comes down to this. Will we be strengthened these times in our faith? Or will we be weakened in these times in our faith? There are opportunities. He's saying, look, God is good. God is good. Remember, God is good. But let me tell you, there's challenges ahead. Look at verse number two. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. That word concision actually means mutilation. To be cut up. Beware. It says, for we are the circumcision, talking about spiritually, that they're saved, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He's like, we're trusting in God. We're not following our emotions. Remember, that's who we are, Paul's reminding him, right? And when we hear this about walking in the spirit, we go, man, you know, hey, what's he referring to? How does it mean to walk in the spirit? Galatians 5, 16 says this, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Galatians 5, 24 and 25 says this, And they that, are, they, that are, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with affections and lusts. Right? So we're going to look, you know what? These things, these affections and lusts, these things that tend to drive me, my emotions, I'm killing them. I'm not following them. I'm not allowing them to lead me. Because if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So we allow the Spirit of God, the Word of God, to guide us instead of our emotions. Right? We're emotional creatures. It's very easy to get drawn into our emotions. And we will say things and do things that we would not normally do, that we will have remorse about. Who's ever said something, just came out of your mouth, and you're like, almost instantly, you're like, oh. But you just can't catch it, right? You just can't catch it and put it back inside your mouth, right? Because we understand when we don't, according to Galatians 5.16, when we don't control these things, we fulfill the lust of the flesh, Right? And the lust of the flesh, we know, leads to 
destruction or corruption, right? So here we follow ourselves, leading by our emotions. We make choices. We say things. We react in our feelings. We're not doing what we should do biblically. We're not walking in the spirit. We're walking in the flesh. We're fulfilling the flesh. And as we fill the flesh, we reap corruption or destruction. Verse 4 says this, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says, look, if anybody has a history of being puffed up and thinking there's something special and trusting in the flesh. He says, look, I am that guy. He says, basically said, like, I'm the poster child for living in the flesh is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, you know what? If anybody can claim that, it's me. As he, as, uh, as he recounts where it is the Lord brought him from, God reveals through Paul's life that no one is a lost cause. God can reach anybody. If we know Paul's history and we understand who Paul was when he was Saul, I am talking, man, he was fervently, angrily wanting to kill people. I mean, wanting people to die, celebrating the death of people. And what we find is the fact that, you know what, yes, anybody is reachable, but what happens is God calls people, right? As God deals with people's hearts, there's one of two reactions as people hear the word of God. They will either become soft and they'll be willing to listen, or they will go the opposite route and they will become angry and they will become rebellious, right? So when we're praying for somebody who's like a, a Saul and we're praying for them and they act angry or they become abusive or they become rebellious or they become whoever this nasty person to us, instead of going, that's it, they're hopeless, lost cause, no, understand that God's dealing with their heart because as, what, as I said, if they're being drawn they're going to either bend to God's will or they're going to fight God's will. And it's an indication many times that anger is an indication that God is working. Remember, it's not our job to reach them. It's God's job to reach them. In the end, this is his responsibility, not ours. Our job is to be a witness to them. John 6, says this, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. God does the saving. Our job is to be a consistent witness to that person. Verse 5 says this, circumcise the eighth day. Here he starts to tell us about his, his uh, qualifications. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, a Pharisee. He says, man, I knew the law. I had memorized the law. I stood for the law. So it's concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, which is in the law, blameless. He says, man, look, I was an example of religiosity. I was a Jew to be, to set an example. We would call him a religious zealot, is what you would call Paul. And it was this twisted faith, this twisted faith that he believed he was doing the right thing that allowed him to do atrocities to Christians in the name of faith. Literally, in the name of God, he would kill people. The same way that the, 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 the Catholic Church and all these other, you know, I mean, think about this. During the Reformation, during the, the, during the Crusades, millions and millions and millions and millions of Bible-believing Christians were murdered by the church in the name of God, amazingly. So we have these folks that are out there that are dangerous, but what happens is John 8, 44 says, says this, Ye of your father, this is Jesus confronting the Pharisees. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, He's speaking of the Pharisees, for he is a liar and the father of it. And he's saying, look, you know what? Your father, this religious system, this idea of using God's name, but not having, it's like the Bible talks about the fact that those that have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, right? They pretend, they look like they're religious, but they're not. Jesus would have been speaking to people like Paul and those that are like him. 
Verse number seven says this, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He says to gain Christ, I'd gladly give up all that I had. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what accolades I may have. Doesn't matter what, what reputation I may have, what respect I may have. It's because I give it all up. It's all just, it's not, it's not worth anything. Looking back in hindsight, Paul can see that what he used to think was valuable or important in reality had no value at all as compared to those things that he will gain through Christ. Man, that we could have the same mindset as Paul. Realizing the things that we think are value here have no value with God. And the thing is realizing what we've, been, what we've gained. We lose sight of what salvation is. We just become accustomed to it. We're just born-again Christians. That's just who we are. Yeah, 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 Christian, yeah, it's my, it's my tag. It's my moniker. It's my identity. But we lose sight of what it is that God's given us. Stepped down and saved us from a death that we absolutely deserve, from a punishment that we absolutely deserve. Not one of us deserves salvation. Not one. None of us. And every day we show reasons why we shouldn't have it. Why God should go, you know what? I gave it to you and I'm going to take it away because you know what? You're undeserving. You are unfaithful. Adulterous generation, right? We're adulterers. Adulterers and adulteresses because bottom line is we cheat on God. He says, look, you'll have no other other gods before me. But man, we can make a laundry list of gods that we have before him every single day. But by God's grace, thank the Lord for the age of grace. But you know what? The Bible says that he is storing up his wrath. There will be a day when wrath will come and grace will be over. Praise the Lord that we live in the age of grace. That we would appreciate all that Christ has given us and God would, and we would put our eyes on the Lord and take them off of the things of this world and realize the fact that this place is trying to offer us things that is not godly. The things that our flesh is drawn to, they're not godly. The things that we lust for, they're not godly. They will never draw us any closer. And the people that we know, the friends that we have, if they're not seeking God, guess what? They're not drawing you closer to God. I don't care how cool they are or how nice their stuff is. It does not matter because if they're not seeking God, they're not going to draw you closer. They're going to draw you further away. Verse 8 says this, Yea, doubtless. He says, And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul had such an appreciation for all that God has done for him that he doesn't even see what he's been given, the things that he's lost. They have no value whatsoever to him. He uses that word dung, right? Who's ever heard of the term cow dung? What is cow dung? That's manure. It's poop, right? He's saying, look, he said, all the things that I had that everyone would have valued in the world, it's just junk. It's not, it has no value at all to me. He said it's valueless. Verse 9, he says, and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Paul says, look, my righteousness was religious works. And guess what? It was empty. Absolutely empty. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Religious works, no matter how grand they may be, will never translate into righteousness. They will never translate into godliness. Titus 3, 5, and 7 says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're saved. We were righteous not because of the things that we do. It'll never be what we do. What would happen is our works should be an evidence of who we are. 
but they are not a part of who we, that does not get us into righteousness. They're a picture of what God's done in us. It's only through him. Paul is teaching that righteousness through faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul's deepest desire was to be like Christ. That's what he's searching for. He goes, look, if I could have anything in this world, it would be to be a copy of him. And that's something we should all be desiring, right? But what I want you to pay attention to this, he says in this, uh, in this next verse as we get to it, you want to, I want you to pay attention to the fact that he talks about being conformable unto his death, right? He not only through knowledge does he want to understand who God is, but he wants it through experience. He wants to identify it through his suffering, right? It says fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. He's saying, look, I want my flesh to die just like Jesus Christ allowed his flesh to die. I want to truly have it be dead. And he comes close to it, man. Paul, Paul gets beaten and whipped and, and gets lashes and imprisoned and shipwrecked and you name it, man. He goes through the gauntlet. But bottom line is his desire is to become more like the Lord. And it's an understanding, right? It's an understanding that suffering is the key. He's got to be willing to suffer for his faith. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay? So if we look at that based upon what that verse says, that says shall, that's a promise word. So if I look at that and I go, look, you know what? I'm not suffering any persecution. Well, goodness. Perhaps I'm not living godly in Christ Jesus. Something to ask ourselves, right? Maybe as we assess ourselves and we look at our walk with God, if we're not persecution, no persecution in our life whatsoever in any form or fashion, even if it be light, whatever it is, maybe that's an indicator that guess what? You're off track in your life. You're not walking godly in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're walking like the world and you're claiming Christianity, but it's not real. God says, look, you know what? That's something we're going to suffer. And as the days get on and we go further along, guess what? It's going to get worse and it's going to get worse. Verse number 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He said, if I could find a way to kill my flesh and truly be righteous, man, I would do it. If I could just get rid of this flesh. We know Paul struggles with the same things we struggle with, dealing with his flesh on a daily, daily basis. Paul's desire is to be holy, not happy. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained. He says, look, I'm not there. Either we're already perfect. He says, look, I'm, I'm still growing. I'm not, I'm not at my maturity. But I follow after if that I may apprehend, he says, I keep working on my righteousness, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus, because this was the reason I was saved. He says, this is the reason I'm here. I recognize the fact that I'm not here for me. I'm here to be holy for God. And the world will tell you that it's about you, but it is not. And every day you have got to deny yourself because self is the very thing. When you look in the mirror and that self is going, you know what? Give me, give me, give me. You've got to go, no, you don't get anything today. This is not about you. Look in that mirror. It's not about you. Look yourself in the eyes and can tell yourself when you're, going, you're, when you're looking in the mirror and you're going, but, 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 I, 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 no, good. Look, you know what? Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. This is not about you. This is about him. This day is about him. Paul understood that when he was saved, it wasn't to stay a baby in Christ, but it was so that he could grow. And based upon statements that he's made, he understands that one of the most important ways to grow is hardship and suffering. And Paul goes through it a time and time and time and time again. One thing he does, uh, one thing to know, uh, is when he's going through these, uh, th these things that are doing, that he's doing good things, and another thing is, remember, is the mindset is that 
as we're dealing with the hardships, God is working through them in the midst of them, right? As we talked about before, recognizing it is hard many times because we get caught up in the moment, right? It's the times of growth when we deal with adversity that allow us to grow or it allows us to become more weak. It's a challenge. In those moments when we find ourselves in tough spots, we get to choose. Right then, I'm going to claim faith or I'm going to claim fear. I'm going to walk by faith or I'm going to walk in doubt. I'm going to be in dealing with tribulation and overwhelmed by my emotions. Or you know what I'm going to say? You know what? My emotions do not matter because I don't walk in my emotions. I need to walk in my faith. And you have to make that choice when you're in those moments. And it is not easy. I'm just telling you, when there's a cloud around you and you can see nothing but the darkness of what you see, it's hard to go, look, I'm not going to believe what I see. I'm going to simply claim God. That's why people go, I don't feel saved. Well, guess what? Salvation is not a feeling. It's a knowledge of knowing what God promised us. And we hold on to the promises of God, not the feelings we get from the word. Feelings come and go, but the truth does not waver. Romans 12, 12 says this, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, says, though now for a season, notice this next word, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold means an overwhelming number, a large, all kinds of temptations. So he's saying, look, this season of sadness that you're in, there's a purpose to it. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Amen. That one day, right? That's talking about this day here. That's talking about the fact that one day when we stand before the Lord, will we have a faith that was refined through tribulation that was made more pure and more beautiful, or we have one that's filled with impurities because every time tribulation came, we ran. The fire is what makes us pure. It's the tribulation that what burns us up. It's those issues in our life, those things that we've got to force to look at ourselves and go, and I said, look, you know, am I godly? And I look in the mirror, and I know I've got something in my life. I know I have something in my life. And I can deny it all I want to, and I can lie to God all I want to, but I know it's there. And God looks straight through me into that point in my life. And he says, you know what? I see it wide and clear. And that needs to be burned out of you. And either you deal with it, and that's what tonight's about. Either you deal with it, or I'm going to put some pressure on you, and I'm going to burn it out of you. We talked about the oil right on Sunday. I'm going to beat it out of you. God will put pressure on us and cause us to deal with these issues. The trials we face in this life are designed to refine our faith and make us stronger. But at the same time, they can overwhelm us, and they can make us weaker. We have got to learn to trust Him. How do we deal with trials? How do we deal with, with, with hard times? When you find yourself in a moment that's overwhelming, do you freak out in your emotions and circle back afterwards? Or do you go, you know what? I'm going to step back, recognize this for what it is. My enemy's not any of the people that I'm dealing with in this situation. The enemy's outside of this situation. And you know what I mean? I'm going to address him the way that I address him, which is calling upon my father and let God fight for me because I have a shield of faith that I can lift and I can fight this battle. Not in my emotions because guess what? If I fight in my emotions, I'm going to lose. I'm going to be on my face and he's going to be pounding me. But if I claim this and I can step back away from the situation, get my emotions out of the way, recognize it for what it is, Lord, you know what I'm dealing with. And God, I know you're with me. And Lord, I know I had nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Because there's nothing in this world that can overcome me because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I am your child. 
And Lord, I stand against this fire. I stand against this tribulation, not in my strength, but I hide behind the cross and let you fight it for me. That's how you deal with it. But it takes, it takes maturity. When you're a new Christian, that's not easy. You're going to deal with it through all. You're going to hindsight, hindsight, hindsight. But we need to understand that as these things come, we've got to recognize them for what they are. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He says, like, I, have, I know I have plenty of growing to do. He says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He says, look, I know I cannot change my past. I cannot go back. The mistakes that I've made, the things that I've done wrong, the places that I've failed, the places where I've dropped the ball, I can't go back and fix them. All I can do is from this day forward, press forward. I can reach forward. You notice he said that one thing I do, the one thing I do, the one thing I do, the one thing I do is forgetting those things which are past. We cannot change it. We've got to move on. What we can do is put our eyes on the Lord, right? We put our eyes on the Lord in the midst of it, and as our past is there, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to learn from it, right? A person who makes the same mistake again and again and again and again, that's crazy. What you need to do is go, look, you know what? I'm going to forget the mistakes of the past, but the one thing I am going to remember is the lesson I need to learn from my failure, right? If you fall into these patterns where you do the same thing again and again and again and again, how long are you going to do it your way? It doesn't work. Living your emotions does not work. You'll find yourself in exactly the same circle again and again and again and again and again. And it's not until you do it God's way that it will ever change. And what God does is he allows that fire of that tribulation to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter until you feel like you're just going to burn up. And he goes, look, let these things go. The things that have poisoned you, the things that are making you impure, let them go. And when we do and we trust God, we become a little bit more pure. And God starts to take the reins of our life. And we start to let them go. And all of a sudden, things start to work out. It is amazing. Let go of our failures, our mistakes, our sins, our disappointments, and our losses. The only thing we do is remember what we need to learn. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm always seeking godliness. That's my desire. When I fail, guess what? I'm going to get back up, seek godliness. And when I fail, guess what I'm going to do? Get up and seek godliness again and again and again and again. How can you possibly go wrong if your sole decision every day when you wake up is today, I'm going to live a godly life. Every morning you wake that's my sole desire today, I'm going to live godly. And as those things come into your life and you recognize them, you go, ah, 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 nope, not letting you in, not letting you in. Because guess what? Those sins, those things, even when, we, even when we, we get past them, they don't just run away and disappear. They circle back. And as long as we're trusting in our flesh, they will latch on to us. Then they will get inside of us. And the next thing you know, we'll be all polluted again. And we're like, ah. Oh. And God's going, well, now we've got to bring the fire again. Oh, not more fire. But sure enough, but you know what? Because we're just silly like that. We go through the same thing we see with the Israelites. It's the same old system. We find ourselves, man, I've been here this uh, 10 years ago. I was in the same spot. Well, guess what? You're going to be in the same spot until you do it God's way. It's going to just keep being that way. The idea of denying ourselves of anything does not go well with us. We don't wake up in the morning and go, man, you know what? I'm going to not eat. I'm not going to drink. And when I'm tired, I'm not going to rest. And when I'm, not sad, when I'm upset, I'm not going to just feed into my emotions. I'm not going to do things that are pleasurable to me. Today, I'm going to just I'm gonna deny my body. Americans? <laughs> it's not our nature. We wake up and you go, mmm, what's for breakfast? Mm, mm, mm. What can I put in my belly? Ooh, I'll make some hot coffee. You got some of that creamer I like? Ooh, I love that creamer. Ooh, right? That's all we do. 
all day long. How can I feed me? How can I take care of me? But what does God say? Mark 8, 34. And when he had called them, the people unto him and his disciples, also he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, whosoever will come after me, is what he's saying to anybody. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So we think of the idea of denying ourselves and we go, boo, boo, that sounds crazy. But God says, if you're going to follow me, that's the mindset you need to have. Because otherwise, what happens is we spend so much time feeding our flesh and making it happy and getting it, giving it what it wants that when things don't go its way, guess what it does? It pitches a, tavern, a, a temper tantrum. And we find ourselves in these emotional moments where we're overwhelmed. Unbelievable. I deserve better. Roar! Right? That's huge. That's us, man. That's us. Verse 15, let us therefore as many as be perfect. Perfect, that word means mature. He says, be thus minded. If anything, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. He says, look, mature believers need to have the same mind. They need to all be seeking godliness. And if you're not seeking godliness, he says, look, God's going to reveal it to you. He'll show it to you. As you mature in your faith, well, guess what will happen is you'll be able to recognize sin in your life easier than you can when you're initially saved. When we're first saved, we're going, no, I'm not sure how to deal with this stuff. But as you mature... And as you start to refine these things in you, you should be able to recognize things in yourself and go, you know what? Hey, you know what? I'm being haughty. You know what? I'm, I'm, being, I'm being covetous. You know what? I, I've got, my car's perfectly fine. Why in the world do I want a new car? This car's driving just fine. But I want more. I'd like leather seats. In fact, I want heated seats. I want cooled seats. I want this. Oh, what else do they got? And we start thinking about these things, right? And we get caught up in it. But a mature believer goes, you know what? Hey, this is all going to burn up with a fervent heat. This is all, this is a waste of my time. I'm focused on this, and when I put my time and energy into working later at work so that I can buy that stupid car, it's just going to rust like any other car, and eventually I'm going to be tired of that one too. But if I spend my time and energy trying to reach people with the Lord, and I work on my godliness, man, I'm going to impact not only myself, but I'm going to impact my kids. I'm going to impact my spouse. I'm going to impact my, my coworkers. I'm going to impact people for the cause of Christ. I'm going to change forever the eternity instead of the short term. Get our eyes off of the things of the world. It is the humility that comes along with that mindset that develops believers. Humility. Proverbs 29, 23 says this, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. James 4, 10, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Man, godliness and humility, they go hand in hand. Jesus Christ, the God-man, guess how he was described? Philippians 2.8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, it will be humble, teachable mindset that will bring unity in the church. Pride is the root of all poisons, all the, all the issues of sin. They're all rooted in pride. Humility is the exact opposite of pride. So if we focus on our humility, then guess what? We can become more godly. And as we become more godly, we start to be, be, be emulating Christ. Then we start to make an, an impression in other people's lives. We start impacting people for the cause of the Lord. And all of a sudden, this life is not about us so much anymore. Because your pride is what tells you that it is about you. But me, me, me. And humility says, not me. Not me. Not me. I don't want to be seen. I just want to help. I just want to be there for that person. Pride is the thing that disciples are going, which one of us will be greatest? And Jesus is like, no, the one that's the servant will be the greatest. The one who's most humble. Who's humble amongst you? Humility is not an issue, is, is, is an issue that's very tough in America. 
We're filled with pride and people want to be very famous. What is that based upon? Pride. They want to be wealthy. They want pride. All these things, pride, pride, pride. I want to be the best in my field. I want to be the best. I want to be this. Bottom line is, be the best Christian you can be. And you won't do it from being prideful. Being humble. Humility. Verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already we have already already attained. He says, look, what we already know, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. He says, be unified. Verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which shall which shall walk as walk so as ye have hap, let me try that again. And mark them which ha, which walk so as ye have us for an example. He says, Look, you follow us. As we follow Christ, okay? We're following the Lord, you follow us, okay? So look for those that are followed, that are humble, those that are godly, that are walking with the Lord, those that are in the Word of God, and they're teaching the same things. But know this, that as you're trying to do that, there will always be those people that are contrary, okay? Verse number 18, for many walk of whom I have, have, who have, I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. He says, look, I'm literally crying over this, the fact that these people exist, that they are, in, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, look, the reason why it hurts Paul is because they're ruining the name of God. They're using God's name and they're using it for their own gain. There are people in the world today, when we go to, to Malawi, Africa, man, it is crazy there. There are these, I'm talking people live in nothing. They live in these little tiny shacks on the side of the mountain. We went by a place, about a 10,000 square foot mansion built on the side of a mountain by this apostle who's a prosperity preacher, and the poorest people on the planet are giving this guy money, and he lives in a lavish lifestyle, and they worship him because we as human beings, we like to worship people. And here's a prosperity preacher who uses God's name and promises that God's going to provision. You pay this amount, you're going to give this back. God's ridiculous, but bottom line is these people exist, and Paul's crying over it. He's looking at this verse number 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. They're not look focused on God. They're focused upon what the world is going to give. And guess what? They'll get their rewards on earth, but they're also going to face justice one day because guess what? They will not escape. They will not escape. These people are not humble. They are not teachable. They do not seek godliness, and they do not walk and teach as the disciples did. They teach a false gospel. But guess what? Can they appear religious? Oh, my goodness. Can they appear as nice, godly people? Oh, yeah. They can pull it off. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15 says this, For such are apostles, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They look just like the apostles. They act just like them. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, look, these guys are satanic worshipers. He says it calls them ministers. If his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, they look like righteous men. They're good people. They'd be good neighbors. They're folks that you would go, you know, I trust them with my car. Your Jehovah's Witness neighbor, who's a super nice guy, your Mormon neighbor, who's a super nice guy, preaching a false gospel that will take you to hell. But guess what? They appear righteous. Those that teach another gospel. God, they're going to face judgment. Matthew 7, verses 20 through 23. 20 through 23. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone, not, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Look at this next verse, 22. Many will say to me, notice that phrase, in that day. We know what that means, right? the day when the Lord returns and they face judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Boy, they're going to do all they can to fix it now. Hey, 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 remember what we were doing? Remember what we were doing? 
and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Man, do good things, those TV preachers. Verse 23, and then will I profess unto them. Remember, Jesus is the one judging them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. All the good works they just listed, he just said, look, it was all evil. It was all evil. Remember what they're called, false apostles and ministers, ministers of Satan. Our concern must be to obviously recognize them, know who they are, but make sure that they don't influence us. Because guess what? They will do their very best to give us lies and try to twist the truth. We have to be sober, be vigilant. 1 Peter 5, 8, right? We know that verse. Be sober, be vigilant because we are being hunted. Let me assure that in 2020, this is going to be more and more important because the Bible says it's going to get worse and worse and worse. You want to see what it says? Go to 2 Timothy. Read 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Read the whole thing and you will get this amazing picture. Until the Lord arrives, it's going to be bad news and it's going to be getting worse. Verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we, took for, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, our focus is not on the earth. Our focus is on heaven. We're laying up treasures in heaven, not upon the earth. Right? If we, if we focus on godliness, we cannot go wrong. If you're doing what's profitable for God and not profitable for, your, for yourself every single day, and that's your driving desire, you cannot go wrong. You will be blessed and God will use you. Verse 21 who, talking about Jesus, shall change our vile body, our vile body, talking about this flesh that's drawn to sin, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, meaning that it's going to be sinless and perfect, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The Lord has absolute authority over everything. God has the ability. One day there will come a time when this flesh will no longer dog us every day. It will no longer have the control that it does today. We will never no longer fall into our emotions and live in this swirl of nonstop ups and downs. We will live a life that is consistent, that is actually holy. So what we've got to be deceived is we're seeking every day to become that person in this flesh. And that's a hard thing because this flesh is fighting you back. Our Lord and Savior one day make all things right by bringing justice upon those workers of unrighteousness. But until that day, right, our job our job is to focus on the fact that, you know what, not only are we supposed to protect ourselves from them and have knowledge, but also there's people that are ignorant that are out there that they don't know any different. They believe because someone pretends to be a Christian, because someone professes to be godly, and someone knocks on their door or meets them in a store or gives them a track or talks to them or invites them to a church, and they can sit through a service that looks just like a regular church service. And they can be swinging incense and doing all kinds of stuff, and man, it can seem so holy, man, I'm telling you outfits, music, organs, the whole shebang, as religious as you can possibly imagine. And the whole thing orchestrated by the enemy to hide God. We've got to be conscious of the fact that there are ignorant folks out there that don't know any different. And we've got to try to reach them. After all, somebody did that for us. Somebody reached down and touched us. I didn't know anything about God. You could have easily influenced me to anything because I didn't know any different. But by God's grace... Someone sent me someone to tell the truth. And someone did the same for us. So let's be mindful of the fact that, you know what, if God used them to reach us, why can't he use us to reach somebody else? Look for opportunities for it to be used. And you know what, if we didn't do that, if we didn't do that in 2019, if you say, look, 2019, I didn't witness to anybody. I didn't give out any tracks. I was terrible. I didn't do a thing. I was focused on me so much. I was so caught up in my emotions and my stuff. 
And I was like, you know, I wanted to learn about the, I wanted to learn about God. And let's say you gather a lot of knowledge and you know a whole lot about the word, but it doesn't change who you are. What's the point? What's the point? You're a sponge that's full of water that sits there and sours. You're not there to sip, soak up and sour. You're there to be squeezed out in the lives of other people. You should soak up God, get that goodness of the Lord, experience from Him, knowledge of Him, and pour your life into somebody else. And when you're empty, man, come back and fill back up and go back out and pour into somebody else. And realize that it's not about you. If it's about you. Guess what you'll do? You'll sour. There's people sitting in churches that are like, <clears throat> they've got all kinds of biblical knowledge. And they don't care about anybody else but themselves because they've never grown spiritually. They're still a babe with lots of knowledge because it's not knowledge that makes you mature. It's application that makes you mature. There are Bible scholars that are babies because guess what? They know it here, but it never translates into here. And you've got all these folks that think they know so much and the devil keeps them confounded. In this, I met a guy at the gym and I was talking about what I, you know, I was talking about what to do, sharing the gospel, and I actually gave him a track. And he was like, he's, yeah, he's like, I'm more on the scholastic end. I was like, well, um, I'm not sure what that means. And he's like, he's like, you know, more like, you know, it's like more in study and stuff like that, you know, writing papers and things like that. I was like, so who gets the papers? He's like, well, it just pretty much goes to schools and stuff like that. I was like, well, what about the lost people? And he's like, well, you know what, I'm more on the, more on the educational side. And I'm like, oh, okay. What? And I'm like, well, here's a track about how you know Jesus, you know? And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, great, great, great. But his thing is, he was sold on the fact that, guess, you know, my mission is to write papers and become knowledgeable and become that big fat sponge that's sitting there sour who never pours into anyone else. And guess what? The devil can trick us into thinking that we're something special and we can sit here and gain knowledge and we can start thinking we're something more than other people. We can start becoming judgmental. And God's going, look, be careful. You're not here for you. You're here for them. You're here for me. Go out there and do something. Philippians 3.13, remember, says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, right? We may have dropped the ball in 2019, and maybe we did a bad job. But we have 2020. If God tarries is coming, we may have the whole year. You stay healthy, you may have the whole year. We have a whole 12 months. What will we do with it? Will we look back at 2019, and if we're filled with regrets of what we did not do in 2019, and by God's grace, he gives us another year. And we get another 12 months to run. Will we leave a track record of us? Or will we impact the world for the cause of Christ? Will we be a reflection of him in this world? Or just another picture of us? Another year we check off as a lost opportunity. We can't remake tomorrow. We can't change it. The one thing we can do is reach forth. Reaching forth. But as we enter 2020, the whole thing is that we have to have clear vision of the fact that we're committed to reaching forth for the souls of men and women, boys and girls, through sharing the gospel, reaching forth to show the love of God to this hurting world, reaching forth and growing in our knowledge of God's word, and reaching forth to live a godly example that will impact this planet for the cause of Christ. Reaching forth. Because you can hold on to the things where you fell or you made mistakes in the past, but you will never, ever go forward until you let those things go and take a hold of the future. It's all about opportunities. What do we see? If we hold on to the past, we'll be an anchor to hold us to where we were. But if we'll let that thing go and we'll grab hold of what God can do, and we let, let Him lead us, there's no limit to what God can accomplish. We are all, have this incredible potential within us. The thing that holds us back. 
We're like racehorses that have tied ourselves to the post. We go and we hook ourselves to the post. And we're like, oh, man. And God's going, look, he unhooks us. And then we still stand there. And he tries to ledge us. He's going, hey, hey, let me speak to you through your devotions. Hey, hey, it's not about you today. And we're like, eh. I like this post is really nice, though. It's comfortable, and I like the post. I mean, this grass is really tasty. And next thing you know, we'll be a racehorse standing beside the post, unlatched, ready to run. We could go run and be the fastest horse in the world. But because we're so focused on what it is that we want, we never, ever step out onto the track. And that's a majority of Christians. They sit in church. They sit back. They go, well, somebody else will do it. Someone else will reach them. Someone else will tell them about the gospel. Someone else is going to care. Someone else is going to pray. Man, we have been given a golden opportunity by the God of the universe who saved us in the age of grace, who forgives us every day when we drop the ball and opens doors of opportunity every single day. Yet we let them slip away. Well, I got tomorrow. I got tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, right? For we know not what a day may bring. This could be our last day. This could be our last year. If you knew this was your last year on earth, how would you live it? Probably different than we would otherwise. If you knew tomorrow was your last day, and you knew you were going to face God, you knew, you knew tomorrow was going to be the rapture. It was going to happen at midnight tomorrow. And you had all day tomorrow. And at the end of that day, you knew, boom, you were going to be standing before the Lord, giving an account of your life. And he says, you got 12 hours. What are you going to do? How many of us would live it differently than we would otherwise? Man, I got to tell you about Jesus. We got limited time, man. It could be any second. I know it's tonight at midnight. I got just a few more hours. It could be in 30 minutes. We've got to be mindful of the fact that, you know what? We're not promised tomorrow. And we've got opportunities that have been placed before us. God wants to do something great in your life. Let's let him do it. We are holding him back. We're holding back what we can accomplish because of our own frailties, our own issues, and our own selfishness. Let's get out of our own way and let God use us. Let's pray.